Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. Today, I am joined by my buddy, J.J. Zacharyson, because right now I am working through all of my projections for the 2020 season, trying to get everything in order, because it, it seems like uh, like best ball people are, are starting to realize, like, you can you can still play it. There's uh, some new companies getting started, you know, up off the ground. So people are people are ready to draft, J.J., because they uh, – they have nothing else to do. No one has anything to do but but hop in these drafts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always good to have projections, though, done so that you can speak intelligently about these these players and their situations. Yeah. So I basically, through the last week of working through my projections, have just sort of tried to find some situations where, you know, the, the right answer is not immediately clear. And, uh, you know, you're, you're really good at math. You've been, you've been doing this for a long time, so I thought <laughs> – having you on the show would be uh, you know, would be a great way to sort of explore some of the options with these situations. So, you know, right away, a process question, how do you go in and start trying to handicap really ambiguous situations? So some of the examples are green Bay, second wide receiver, uh, you know, the Detroit rushing share, the, the JK Dobbins, Mark Ingram split, like where, where are you heading into these things in terms of, you know, just where, like handicapping ambiguity, basically. Yeah, I mean, to me, projections are there for sort of median outcomes, right? So I'm not necessarily building my projections based on a narrative, which I see out there a lot, which is fine. You can build projections that way if you want. But I, I think that, you know, the way that I'm seeing it more so is to to say, hey, I have this idea in my mind that uh, Alan Lazard is going to be the wide receiver too for Green Bay, and he has X type of upside. Uh, whenever I build out my projections, you know, you have to be a little bit more conservative with those projections because you can't just outright project necessarily Alan Lazard seeing a 19% target share in the Green Bay offense because that means that he is solidified as that wide receiver too when we don't know exactly how that target distribution is going to look. So I will approach it from more of a conservative standpoint. Um, with a lot of these guys. And, and the other thing, too, is I'm not drafting off of my projections. Again, I'm using my projections to sort of make sure that the way that I'm thinking about these guys makes sense and is logical. And then you can mess around with those projections and change target share and rushing share, et cetera, to see where those guys' ceilings really, you know, what, what they look like if, if they were to see more volume in a particular category. Um, but I'm not drafting off the projections, especially in the late rounds of drafts. You know, once you hit round six, seven, and as you move down toward, towards the end of the draft, 
uh, I'm really just taking guys who I'm, I'm looking at their high end range of outcomes and their ceiling uh, because we know that the, the hit rate in general in that area of the draft is so low to begin with that even if you're getting someone for their floor, like what's a floor going to do for, you know, get, get you 120 fantasy points for the season. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so I'm looking more at the ceiling then while I'm drafting, but my projections in general, I go with more of a, of a conservative approach when it comes to that ambiguity. And then I start to tell myself stories whenever I am actually drafting as to where those ceilings can be hit. Yeah. I, so I think that is a great point, which is that when you're addressing a median projection, so you're looking at the, the, the median sort of range of outcomes, that means that, uh, you know, specifically for this Alan Lazard example, like if you're going to project him for a 19% target share, you have to also believe that a 24% target share is possible and that a 15% target share is possible. And those things should be sort of balanced on like an equilibrium of both being likely. And I think that's one of the things that people most misunderstand about projections and something that's really hard to do when you are setting the projections is find that number that is sort of the happy medium. Yeah. And when you're doing that too, you know, there, there's ambiguity within that player and that player's situation. So Alan Lazard, there's ambiguity as to how he's going to be uh, used in that offense and what that offense is going to look like in general. Still look at historical baselines for, you know, number two wide receivers on teams or what elite wide receivers typically do from a target share standpoint. You know, we know that elite wideouts generally have at least a 25% target share if they are truly in that elite tier. So DeAndre Hopkins moving teams going to Arizona, you see a lot of people talking back and saying uh, there's too many mouths to feed in Arizona. How are they going, you know, how's DeAndre Hopkins going to maintain or have a high uh, target share in that offense? But realistically, DeAndre Hopkins is very unlikely if he plays 16 games, he's going to be under a 25% target share because it's usually where we see uh, those really, really good wide receivers. Even Odell Beckham last year, in a down year, uh, he was not efficient. He still had a 25% target share despite all that. It's just what we see from those types of receivers. For sure. So I think a great example of dealing with that ambiguity and there not being I – think, I think there's not a right answer in projecting – Tom Brady. So he goes from basically a, a talentless offense, right? Like we're, we're talking about an offense whose best player is Julian Edelman. You know, they're throwing out uh, Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers are playing big snaps for this team. It's like, you know, just, just complete, uh, complete nothingness on offense, essentially. And now he goes to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Brait and OJ Howard. And it's like, you know, this is a, a really good offense, but we have never seen a 43-year-old quarterback start the NFL season as a starter. So, you know, like there's so much tail risk with that. How are you approaching Brady in Tampa Bay? Yeah, so the one thing I think is important uh, when projecting this, you know, push the age stuff aside and the age decline stuff aside for now. Um, the one thing that's really important is that the weapons that a quarterback has is just as important for a quarterback's projection as the quarterback himself. A good example is Alex Smith when he finally gets guys who can stretch the field with Kansas City's and then Andy Reid offense. He blows up the year before Patrick Mahomes becomes starter. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey catching the ball down the field more. That all aided Alex Smith in having the best season of his career. Um, so we have to keep in mind that weapons are going to impact a player pretty dramatically or a quarterback pretty dramatically. Uh, and really, 
you could make the argument that we've never seen a quarterback go from the situation that Tom Brady had last year to what he's going to walk into this year uh, in terms of, of talent and the uh, the guys catching passes from him. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. The second thing uh, with the age-related decline stuff, you know, you have to keep in mind that all of that talent that he had in New England last year, lack thereof last season, is obviously going to impact how he performs. But the one thing that that I'm looking at with Tom Brady and to see if there has been decline is the fact that, you know, there's been a lot of people saying that he's not going to necessarily fit in this Bruce Arians offense because it's a, an offense that throws the ball uh, deep pretty frequently, at least intermediate pretty frequently. So 15-plus air yard throws. Uh, we've seen Jameis Winston lead the league in that the last couple of years, uh, or last season especially. Um, and so – the one thing, and we've we've also seen it too, by the way, with with Bruce Arians' uh, quarterbacks dating back to the Arizona days when when they had Carson Palmer and then just like a hodgepodge of guys. But Tom Brady was not throwing the ball deep very frequently in New England the last couple of seasons. And you have to say, well, it's likely at least partially because of the talent that was around him. And if you look at his numbers in more detail, when he was throwing it deep, he was still pretty accurate. He was still top half in the league in accuracy and throwing the deep ball. So I'm less concerned about the fit. I'm less concerned about the decline because of those sort of uh, secondary numbers that show that Tom Brady is still uh, a good quarterback and an accurate quarterback. He can get the ball and push the ball down the field. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm less, I don't care as much about that stuff. It's very, very difficult for me to think that Tom Brady is not going to see a nice uptick in, in all of his efficiency metrics when he's throwing to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski uh, consistently. So. You know, to me, I don't think that he's a slam dunk like number one quarterback from a projection standpoint. But it's you know, if you're projecting and you're looking at a team level first and moving down, uh, and and it's very very difficult to to see Tom Brady's stat line and think to yourself, you know, that he's not that he's going to have a bad season uh, just just based on on all of that. Yeah. So my median projection for him actually has him at quarterback seven right now. I have him ranked in my rankings, I believe, at quarterback 11. So I think, mm-hmm. the, I think there are a couple risks with him. One is I think you have to give some chance, you know, 3 5% chance that Tom Brady goes, you know, final season Peyton Manning. Uh, sure. You know, just where, yeah. like, physically his body is not able to make the throws anymore. I think there's also some risk that the Aryan system is not like a great fit for him. So like, you know, maybe they just, they don't dial up, you know, enough short throws and there there's an adjustment because, you know, he's played with the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator for a really long time. And, uh, and also, you know, there's no running upside with Tom Brady, right? Like he's got it. He's a dog to get 50 running yards or whatever. And I think that there are, you know, guys being drafted behind him, Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones, guys like that, who you know, even in a bad season, they're going to add 200, 300 rushing yards. And like, even, even though my projections think because he's playing with Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, and these guys um, that I think he, he might be like a, a, a small amount. I, I think he's being overvalued by the market at a median perspective, because it seems like the market's accounting for zero, like physical decline, basically. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, my, my projections right now have Brady at like a little over 4,600 yards and just under 30 passing touchdowns, which I don't think is that egregious, if you will, um, because it's, it's weighing all of that, what, what you're talking about. I do think that there's at least some risk involved there. And like you said, he doesn't have the rushing upside to really catapult him to 
what you would need in or you know if if Tom Brady's going to be a top five quarterback in fantasy this year, he's going to have to throw thirty five touchdown passes. Um, can yeah. he do that? Can he do that? Yeah, I mean the one good part too is that Bruce Arians' offenses historically have skewed uh, having a pretty high pass to touchdown, pass to rush touchdown ratio, despite the fact that. You know, Bruce Arians offenses are not necessarily pass heavy. They're just pass friendly because like we talked about, they, they throw the ball down the field a lot. Um, so yeah, he could. I mean, that's in his range of outcomes is a 35 touchdown season. Um, I don't think it's likely per se though. So you're really taking all of that and you're putting it together. But if you, you know, like my, my yards per attempt uh, projection is going to be based on what he did recently and what we've seen recently. And then he's getting a bump based on the, the weapons that he has. And so, like, that, that projection that him getting the over 4,600 yards passing is still based on what he did in New England with really crappy weapons in some way. So I still think that the projection that, I'm off, that, that I have right now for Brady, you know, it's sort of a, fairly conservative to some, but I think it's realistic just given what you were just saying with all the changes and, and maybe the, the what if, what if Tom Brady really is not the Tom Brady of old anymore. I have him for about 4,700 yards and I think like 33-ish touchdowns. And, you know, some of that is based off of, you know, how much we expect the Arians offense to shift towards. Like we expect them to have a lower percentage of rushing touchdowns than, you know, a league average team, for example, which is, again, um, a great little transition here where we have situations where we have, you know, a little bit of personal feeling, insight, intuition, you know, based off of stuff from the coaches, based off of, you know, things we felt about players before the draft. And I think, I think every rookie running back, well, well, the top six rookie running backs, I think there is a, there's a ton of art that goes into projecting uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Keyshawn Vaughn, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, because, you know, basically all of these guys, because of the way the NFL works, they're all entering into a situation where there is some veteran running back in there in some regards you know Damian had a great season but was injured Ronald Jones somehow accumulated a thousand total yards despite everyone thinking he was terrible uh on Johnson is only 22 years old and the and the Lions just spent a high pick on him so how do you enter into these situations where you know for example like I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is just going to be an amazing fantasy asset you're super high on Keyshawn Vaughn how do you go about entering into you know projecting these you know, three-headed backfields, basically. Yeah, yeah. So one thing also to keep in mind with the rookie backs is that uh, I, I do think from a projection standpoint, um, they're not necessarily always going to look great. Uh, if you're looking at a median projection, right. again, you can, you can approach a projection by saying this is his higher end range of outcomes. And if you go from that perspective, a guy like CEH, if he starts to see what the, the type of volume that Damian Williams and the, and the shares that Damian Williams was seeing – uh, in the playoffs and down the stretch last year, CEH is a slam dunk top 10 running back. I mean, it's easily, easily will hit that. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking more at the median outcome because you want to get a good idea uh, of what's probable or most probable across the season, um, then these guys won't look as good. But it's just important to note that rookie running backs emerge all the time from this kind of these kinds of situations. I mean, we saw it with Nick Chubb, you know, with, with Carlos Hyde there and everyone being scared off of Nick Chubb during his rookie year. You know, good talent. Even if you and I don't think that talent matters a whole lot at the running back position in real football, it matters a lot in fantasy football because these guys ascend on their depth charts and they're able to find the field. And that in and, the and, end... And coaches think talent matters that's, too, exactly. by the way. That, that's what matters is that coaches care. And, and at the end, running back, you know, so 
when I'm looking at projections in general, and you're you're going to have to give a little bit more subjectivity to the running back position than the wide receiver position because the wide receiver position is very much a talent-driven position. Targets and target share is talent-driven. You have to get open in order to see a target. So it's a lot easier to project and say, I know factually that A.J. Brown is a good wide receiver, and therefore I can say A.J. Brown had this target share last year. We know that it took him a little bit to get involved. Wouldn't be shocking at all if we see A.J. Brown with a little bit higher of a target share while regressing a little bit in yards per target. And then you just start to bring it all together, and you can see a, a very easy-to-project projection for that wide receiver. Uh, but for running back, since volume drives this game and volume at running back is essentially dictated by a coaching decision saying, I want this guy on the football field right now, you have to read between the lines and, and, and what they're saying in press conferences, what the news is saying, what we're getting from beat, re, beat reporters. And I know people hear that and they say, oh, you can't trust these guys. Uh, but at the same time, you're just trying to, trying to get a feel for, for what the output for these particular players could potentially look like, right? And that's why when I go to someone like Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, read between the lines of what was going on pre-draft. Every single interview when Bruce Arians was talking about the running back position, he wanted, got, he wanted a player who could potentially play all three downs and who was a good pass catcher. And it made total sense because Ronald Jones is not a guy who can play all three downs and he's not a good pass catcher. Uh, Ronald, Ronald Jones has been an early down guy, and he's fine at that. It's, it's fine. But that means that Keyshawn Vaughn is going to step into a situation at the very least where he's a satellite back on this team. Uh, obviously, they have Dare Agumbawale, uh, but Keyshawn Vaughn having the draft capital, you know, associating that with Bruce Arians' comments um, and looking at Keyshawn Vaughn's overall profile where – you know, his, his size, his speed, you know, he, he's, a, he's a player that doesn't do anything really exceptionally well, but he does everything pretty well, right? And, and all of that combined, if you have the coaches backing, then you can see a path to upside. Maybe the projection isn't going to show that um, and it, because you're going to involve Ronald Jones in some way. But what if your evaluation of Keyshawn Vaughn, if you're a hater, is that, that doesn't look at variance and Keyshawn Vaughn is actually pretty good once he starts to play in the NFL? Uh, so again, I think it just goes back to the idea that with these rookies, you have to be cognizant that in a projection, it might not look great because they're going to be projected to be in the split backfield from a season long perspective. But you know that, you know, DeAndre Swift going in a backfield with Carrion Johnson, the likelihood that DeAndre Swift takes over that backfield is a lot higher than Carrion Johnson taking over that backfield. So you can at least look at this from a ceiling perspective you know, carry on Johnson's ceiling is completely capped now, right? DeAndre Swift's right. ceiling is I can just take over carry on Johnson's role and be the every down workhorse for the Lions. Um, I think that there are some players that that's more likely than others, you know, just reading and seeing what those teams want to do. We know Detroit does want a uh, running back by committee. You know, the, the, the Colts are sort of hinting at that. But at the same time, you know, I think yeah, that we, man, we, the, the Colts are everything they do is like, do not draft Jonathan Taylor. They're like, they're like talking about Naheem Hines. I mean, right. pretty soon we, we haven't got it yet, but pretty soon their coaching staff is going to say, you know, Marlon Mack, he's been with us for a long time. He's, he's earned uh, the right to, you know, keep his job or whatever. Like we, we are very close to hearing about how this yeah. team like really values Marlon Mack. Right. And then, but then you can look at the incumbent and say, you know, Damian Williams is an, is an aged running back who has been great in this role for Kansas City, but Kansas City also just spent first-round draft capital on a guy, and they're in win-now mode. They'll likely yeah. want to unleash him eventually. Maybe, maybe it's not this year. Maybe there is a true split, 
but we know that the upside with CEH is a lot stronger than with Damian Williams. Um, I, and, I think the split with Damian, I think it's going to exist for like two weeks and then it's over. Cause like one, he gets injured all the time. Like he literally has been injured like every year yeah. of his career. And I think that Brett Veach and Andy Reid are smart guys. And it seems crazy to me that they would look at their roster who like their, their cornerbacks the first month of the season are going to be dudes who are just like out of the bar at Kansas city that week. <laughs> and they like, they knew that they knew that coming in and they still drafted a running back. Like it's, it's going to be hard for me to think that they spend all this draft capital on CEH and they don't plan to give him, you know, 200 touches sort of right away. Yeah. I mean, look, you can look at, like I said, you were, you can look at that incumbent and say, this guy is good. This guy is not good. This is going to be an easy backfield to take over. I mean, Cam Akers is another example with, with the Rams where, you know, I liked, and I think you did too. We liked Daryl Henderson entering For the, sure. the league. Right. Uh, but, you know, statistically and probability wise, uh, Daryl Henderson's rookie season and the amount of fantasy points that he scored without, without a real reason, uh, there's, there's not that much reasoning as to why he wasn't on the field as, as much as he should have been. I know that he was a little bit banged up, but he should have had a stronger year during his rookie season if he was actually a really good running back that they liked and they backed, right? And there's yeah, a if, if you're good, you're probably not playing behind a uh, fourth year undrafted free agent, Malcolm Brown. Like that's yeah, just right. a good, that's a good point to make. Right. Right. And so there's there, that's why there's such a strong correlation, especially at the running back position between running backs who performed really well, their rookie seasons to running backs who are studs in the NFL and fantasy. Uh, you know, every single stud that we have essentially was really good their rookie year, at least good compared to other rookie running backs. So, or, or at least became a starting running back in the NFL. Like at least became a guy who was getting a lot of touches his first year in the NFL. Like it's, yeah. it's very uncommon for us to see guys who are highly drafted. You know, like they, they traded up for Daryl Henderson. They thought he was good. They yeah. wanted him on their team. And Todd Gurley, you know, was injured and was bad, right? Like Todd Gurley, um, had a bad season and mm-hmm. they could they could not find a way to get him off of the field because Henderson this guy that they spent all offseason being like oh you know we want him to be our uh, Chris Thompson or whatever like I I, I actually uh, JJ would not be particularly surprised if Cam Akers leads all rookie running backs in like total touches of the ball in yeah. uh, 2020. I totally agree. And, and that, that's the kind, th- those are the kinds of pieces of evidence though, that you have to look at to see where that true path to upside is and the probability of that upside being hit. Right. So Cam Akers, again, in a projection, you're probably going to give Daryl Henderson, maybe like a 20% rushing share or something. Uh, I, I even gave him more than that just to try yeah, and be sure. fair. Yeah, right. So you're gonna you're 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 splitting it up in a projection, and you're saying I don't have mine in front of me, which is why I just you know threw that twenty percent number out. But it's gonna be split in some way between those three backs from a projection standpoint. But you know, going into a season when you're looking at these running backs, you could easily easily argue that Cam Akers has the least to deal with in terms of becoming an every down workhorse compared to every other rookie running back that was drafted this past month. So. That's why that, that's why you do have to sort of read between the lines and try to figure out those paths to upside for these different backs. So getting into some specific situations, I think that um, figure like a skeleton key to figuring out what Baltimore does with their passing targets in 2020 is going to be massive because 
like game script wise, they ran super hot last year. You know, they, they're winning all these games. They're, they're spending entire second halves running the ball. You know, I, I think Lamar Jackson had a 9.6% touchdown rate. This is a, this is a huge uh, late round quarterback podcast thing, but like touchdown rate for yeah. quarterbacks, you know, just tends to regress towards league average over time. Uh, so we're definitely in this situation where we are expecting the Baltimore Ravens touchdown uh, passing touchdown rate to come back to normal, which is going to lead to more competitive games, running more plays. And, you know, Mark Andrews is being drafted pretty high. Marquise Brown is being drafted, you know, I, I think probably a little bit too low. But given that we expect this to be, you know, a high volume offense, they're going to score a lot of points because they go for it on fourth downs and they, you know, they just score a lot of points in general. I think there's probably some edge to figuring out where do, where do, where do those like vacated, uh, you know, do we get a, an actual good wide receiver for Baltimore, you know, in, instead of these total nothing guys like Willie Sneed and Chris Moore and stuff? Like, do you have a, you have a, a strong take on the Baltimore passing offense? Yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to look at with Baltimore for sure because one of the first things is that they were very run heavy last season, as you noted, but they were even really run heavy in neutral game scripts. I mean, they had like yeah. a .79 pass to rush ratio when games were within six points. So that's it's really, really run heavy. And uh, typically, and, and what you'll find year over year from a correlation standpoint, is that uh, overall ratio, pass to rush ratio, so uh, just that's not game script dependent, um, that does not translate to the following season's overall ratio as well as neutral script ratio does. So the neutral script ratio from 2019 for every team is going to be more predictive for how that team has runs their 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 squad ratio wise in that following season and it makes sense because uh game script changes and fluctuates so much year over year so what that means for baltimore is that they're still going to be very run heavy because of what they did this past we, we know that right um but i would expect them to be more pass heavy more than likely than what they were last season because game script might not be in their favor as much we've already seen reports too that they want lamar jackson to throw a little bit more than he did this past year so that's that's good for the pass catchers on that team. I, I do think, again, from a projection standpoint, it's tough to, you know, you could look at Willie Sneed as Dude, someone. it's a mess. You know, yeah. Willie Sneed, Nick Boyle, you know, figuring out Dobbins versus Ingram. Like, it's well, a mess. Well, here's the thing. Like, to me, though, Willie Sneed is like the, the Malcolm Brown of this, of this offense where, sure, yeah. there, there might be some sort of floor, but you know you're not getting a ceiling from that guy, right? Like, he, he might give you two usable weeks throughout the season, but you're not going to know when those usable weeks are coming. So, again, projections aren't going to show anything spectacular outside of, of Mark Andrews and a Hollywood Brown, um, but you, then you have to dig into those individual players if you're ranking and you're looking at it from that perspective. You have Miles Boyan, who is coming off a disappointing rookie season, and then you have Devin Duvernay, who... Uh, I I actually think of those guys on that team, the secondary guys. So obviously you're not looking at at Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. I think Devin Duvernay is is the most intriguing, honestly. Um, and the main reason I think that is he played almost every snap last year from yeah, the really slot. productive player. And and he and he shifted from playing on the outside a good bit to playing in the slot this past year for Texas, and his production was out of control his final season. Uh, and that's really. You know, there was a, a, a quote from, from Harbaugh after the draft saying that, you know, he wanted to draft these, the wide receivers he drafted to be able to move all over the field. Uh, but Devin Duvernay can eat in the slot. Uh, there's upside there. And really all he's looking at to overcome is, is Willie Sneed, who, who is not anything spectacular. 
Uh, so I think that there's some upside and some intrigue with Devin Duvernay. I've seen a lot of Miles Boykin love um, and him maybe being like this year's DJ Chark. It's, it's a pretty good comp. I, I got to be honest. It is a pretty good comp to me, I just, though, though he has no upside to be the number one guy. He'll be at best the third guy. My problem, so my, my prospect model like DJ Chark a lot more than Miles Boykin. Um, and and yeah, Chark I, I, was a better prospect. Yeah, right. He went higher, uh, but also he had better production, better market share numbers, all of that for, in terms of max season numbers. Um, but I, I, I'm fearful, though, too, because the difference between Chark's situation and what we're seeing in Baltimore is pretty drastic. You know, even though Jacksonville wasn't efficient offensively at all, even though they weren't good throwing the ball at all, they were throwing the ball a lot because of that, the game scripts that they faced. And we're not going to see that. I mean, the difference between Jacksonville last year and what we could see from Baltimore this year is like potentially 150 targeted passes, right? Yeah. That's a significant, significant chunk when you're looking at pass catchers on those teams. So I, I honestly, I don't like, I, I like Hollywood Brown. think he's going to be a good value I'm not an early round tight end guy, but Mark Andrews, I think is a very good tight end. And if you're going to go early tight end, it's fine. Go with Mark Andrews, but it's hard to really see a path to more than like 60 targets from any one of these other wide receivers. And I think what you're looking at too is, especially if you're playing like season long where you can like, uh, where you're playing the waiver wire and stuff is that you might see one of these guys, these guys emerge late in the season or later in the season and then start to be usable. But I just think the front half of the 2020 season is just going to be an absolute mess with those secondary guys on that team. Yeah, I mean, it, it is probably very likely to be a spot where you, um, you're, you're, feeling, you know, you're feeling very miserable about, uh, you know, you, you're never going to want to start those guys, even if, even if they you know, start off the season with, um, you know, some kind of, you know, good game or whatever. Like even if, oh, Miles Boykin is playing 80% of the snaps or whatever, like it's going to be kind of, you know, pin the tail on the dog or like whack-a-mole style fantasy production. Like it, you're, like in a league where you have to make lineup decisions, uh, they're all going to be miserable. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, speaking of miserable, <laughs> how many, how many, how many running backs can Washington possibly have? And, and the reason why I even think that this is an important question uh, have you, I mean, have you started doing drafts yet or just like just best ball or, or anything? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So the last seven days on uh, per fantasymojo.com, a great site. If you guys want to get, you know, really good up-to-date high stakes ADP in 17 drafts, Antonio Gibson is going on average pick 100, not in, not in dynasty leagues, wow. in redraft leagues in the football guys players championship. And, you know, very rarely do you see ADPs that are just, bad every year there'll be one that you're just like this makes no sense and somehow the truthers have won this battle last year it was Dante Pettis uh right now it seems like it is Antonio Gibson because I I don't think from doing projections I don't think you could carve out a hundred touches for him if you tried yeah it would be tough that's for sure I mean if you want to look at it optimistically, I guess it would be that the obviously guys can't stay healthy. Uh, they have a new regime there that went out and got Antonio Gibson. That's another signal that they don't like what they have in that backfield right now. But projecting Antonio Gibson to to that point, I mean, you're you're really buying him there close to his like you know eighty percent tile type season, right? Or maybe even eighty fifth or ninetieth for for Gibson himself. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit too much. Uh, with that Washington backfield, though, I mean, I, I the way that I kind of see it, and the way that you had to project it from from a, a rushing share stand, rushing share standpoint, 
it's you're looking at Geis, then AP, then Gibson, then Love. And then from a target share standpoint, it's probably I, I think you can give Gibson the edge from a target share standpoint. And then yeah. and then Geist, then Adrian Peterson, and then and then Love. Um, but even then, if you're splitting up that backfield in any way, shape, or form, you know, uh, Antonio Gibson having the highest target share at a, you know, it's probably like a six percent target share tops. So you're not gonna you're not going to get that much juice out of that. You're really hoping that he can emerge and be part of that backfield. I, I personally, like, I, I didn't mind Geis coming out as a prospect at all. Obviously, there's been issues with him staying healthy. Um, I don't know if there are issues with, it, like, his work ethic or anything. I have no idea about that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that the, the cost-benefit of drafting Geis at this point, uh, and I'm thinking that I had a, I'm in a dynasty startup right now, and I got him in, like, round 15 or 16. And it's just gotten to the point where – why not uh, with, with a guy who's as talented as he was coming out in a, in a good running back class, no less. Um, I, I think it's sort of a why not. And we've seen, we saw some flashes too uh, with guys. So it's really in, in these muddied situations, you have to really tell yourself a story. Look, if you, if you think that Antonio Gibson uh, is, is, could be special, which I think in his range of outcomes, just given his athleticism, there's some really intriguing upside with Antonio Gibson. Don't get me wrong. Uh, do I think that I would be taking him in the top 100, no, not necessarily. Um, but I do think that there is at least some intriguing upside because of his athleticism. And if you do, it won't come out in a projection. Antonio Gibson's not going to look good in a projection. But yeah, we know that that someone can emerge in this backfield and can emerge in any backfield. So you know, I'm I'm fine if you want to go that route. I just think if you're going to go a route with this backfield, it's either Geis or Gibson. There's no reason to really draft like an Adrian Peterson right. It's, it's, he's, he's, again, he's, he's the Willie Sneed of this example. Yeah. I mean, Adrian Peterson's, uh, you know, best possible outcome is certainly, uh, is certainly not a, a league winning season. Whereas, you know, if Antonio Gibson does actually take over this role, you know, does actually have a great season, then yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot different. Right. Right. Um, okay. Arizona Cardinals. What, why do, why do people hate Christian Kirk? Like what, what is DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> doing to his, projection or or you know value that people think that he's gonna be terrible like I get that I get that he was largely disappointing last year um you know it seemed like Arizona was just throwing to like anyone and everyone and that is kind of part of the air raid that you use a lot of different guys I would imagine things are going to be a little bit more condensed for them this year just as they focus on you know trying to use talented players as opposed to non-talented players but uh yeah I, I mean I I don't uh I don't know why the market like he's going after CD Lamb. So like from a projection yeah. from a projections perspective, you can't get Lamb to a top 180p with like Gallup and Cooper still being on the team. It's like crazy. Yeah, and so the other thing with with a guy like Christian Kirk too is that there's there's some nice upside that that occurs if something were to happen to DeAndre Hopkins or if Larry yeah. Fitzgerald really, really falls off a cliff. Cause obviously Fitzgerald is going to be uh, pocketed for like a 16 or 17% target share. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what's, what's obviously intriguing with, with, I also think that the way people look at these players uh, in fantasy football in general is they get really, really turned off when a guy is anything but a number one or number two option. Now Christian Kirk is the number two option right in this offense yeah. like from, from a target share from a projected target share standpoint but plenty of people are going to put Larry Fitzgerald ahead of him still plenty of people are going to say it's like a a 2a and a 2b type 2B. situation whereas i you know it's it's no different than the way that a lot of people viewed CD Lamb when he was drafted by Dallas where 
everyone's just, oh, this is a horrible landing spot. I can't believe he's got to compete with, for targets with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. And it's like, guys, the target tree in Dallas is not that robust. It's not like there's, there's all these wide receivers and, and, and guys catching passes out of the backfield that you, you are so, so worried about, worried about with, with, with C.D. Lamb. But not only that, Dallas is going into a more pass-heavy approach, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. There's a lot of upside with C.D. Lamb. Not only that, but obviously, like, Amari Cooper could be gone in a couple of years or something could happen to Michael Gallup, et cetera. Um, you got to look past where they land on their depth chart. And the same, the same goes in the opposite direction as well, where everyone is automatically really, really interested in Denzel Mims just because he could be the number one wide receiver or number two wide receiver on the Jets it's still an Adam Gase offense and we don't know exactly what's going to go down with Sam Darnold and what his future holds. So ignore where they land on their particular depth chart, especially when you're in an offense like Arizona's where, you know, four wide receivers are going to be on the field all the time. Christian Kirk is not going to leave the field. Um, and Kyler Murray is going to be an extra year in uh, hopefully more efficient. That whole offense is probably going to be going to be better. And if you project, you know, the way that the Arizona offense looked, uh, based off of last season, we know they got better towards the end of the year too. So you have to take that into consideration. So I'm with you. I think Christian Kirk, you know, where my projections are, it's probably about at market value. Um, but you also have to recognize the upside that exists with a player like that who's not only talented, but has the upside if something happens to some of the other players on his team. And I mean, Arizona might like, they might just kind of yeah. get things figured out and become one of the five or six or seven best offenses in football. And like, I, it, it's sort of weird that Hopkins is priced like that. Kyler is definitely priced like that. And then, I mean, I guess, I guess the, um, the market is super high on Kenyon Drake, which is, you know, <laughs> sort of Kenyon Drake is, uh, is just Damian Williams, like kick the can down a <laughs> road. Cause like, I mean, he was really good last year, but we have a long history of this dude being in split backfields at best. And it seems mm-hmm. like it would, it, it's going to be weird to me if, you know, the first time Kenyon Drake is not in a split backfield is this year. And maybe that makes me a hypocrite because I was, you know, pumping the, the Damian Williams stuff last year. So maybe, maybe I need to get on the, uh, the Kenyon Drake train. But I, I think that you did bring up a really good point though, with, uh, w- with looking at offense. So a lot of projections, my projections, for instance, goes from a, a with a top down approach where I'm looking at team level stuff first, you know, plays run per game, uh, projected output in terms of touchdowns, et cetera. And then you're, you're essentially divvying that up amongst the personnel on that team. Uh, but you make a good point that I think is really, really important that we get fixated on the competition for volume player by player when that can be elevated, even if, even if you don't see a path to more volume for a particular, even if you don't see Christian reaching higher than a 20% target share, you have to take a step back and say, well, what if Arizona just blows up offensively, then all of a sudden he's not only seeing a 20% target share, close to a 20% target share, he's in an offense that's scoring a lot of touchdowns and they're moving the ball down the field really easily. So the offense in general is, is sort of lifting him up. It's almost like what we saw with Michael Gallup last year, where the, the Dallas offense projection-wise, people didn't necessarily see them going into the season being as pass-heavy as they were. And then all of a sudden they became more pass-heavy and they were scoring all these touchdowns, and that just allowed Michael Gallup to rise and be a really good fantasy asset. Yeah. Um, so another situation we haven't talked about yet is when we go from 
historically condensed volume to offenses that project to be much less condensed, which is the case with Carolina this year. So they signed Robbie Anderson. Uh, Greg Olson is gone. So you could, you could make the case that, you know, perhaps some of that stuff, uh, you know, switches, uh, you know, maybe, maybe year over year or whatever, but you know, what are, what are we thinking about doing with McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, those guys, because uh, like, even even it's hard to project Christian McCaffrey because he just went from having this record-breaking season to, you know, can we project him to break those records again? Probably not. Yeah, so obviously projecting volume is what's most important in fantasy, more than the efficiency metrics. I mean, those are important, but you want volume first and foremost because that's what correlates to fantasy points and success the most. Um, I, I think that the thing with CMC is less less about regression for CMC and more about the change in offensive philosophy and coaching uh, in, in Carolina. Not that I think that CMC isn't going to be used heavily in that offense. It's just that there's a question mark. There's ambiguity there. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Because, you know, if you, if you look at projecting volume, it's fairly sticky year over year, at least compared to looking at things like yards per target and more efficiency metrics. And CMC has had between a 22.8% and a 23.7% target share in his first three years each year. Uh, so he's seen a very consistent target share year over year. The big thing that's changed, and even if you want to shift that down and give him like a 20 or 21% target share in a projection, that's totally fine. Chances are he's going to come out as your number one running back. But, uh, and the other thing too is that he's had a similar yards per target the past couple of years, similar yards per attempt. Um, but even if you bump some of those down a bit, he still looks good. The big question is less about his receiving, in my opinion, uh, and his, his target share in that offense and more about what's going to happen on the ground because last year is where we saw that big bump with CMC being the, the early down workhorse, like even more so. Uh, he saw 91% of the team's running back rushes last year and over 74% of the team's overall rushes. Um, that first number, that 91% number of, of team running back rushes is the best and the highest number that we've seen since 2011. So we can't assume that he's going to maintain that. Um, and even that other number in terms of overall rushes uh, was, was top five. So uh, we're looking at a scenario where maybe CMC doesn't see as big of a share of that early down work. Um, but when you work everything out with Carolina in particular, and you look at their, their uh, team level stuff, their defense is so atrocious. Their defense is arguably going to be the worst defense in football this year. Um, and they're playing in a division with three of the best offenses in the league. Right. Um, yeah there's a very high chance and high probability that we see a lot of passing volume in this offense. So if CMC sees a 21% plus target share in the offense, he's going to see a ton of volume through the air that it's going to be able to offset uh, some of that, uh, some of that regression on the ground in terms of volume, if that, if that does happen. But the other thing too, is that they haven't done anything to really boost what's behind CMC in that depth chart. So yeah, it's Reggie Bonifon. Yeah, there's there's really there's really nothing that that is competing with Christian McCaffrey. So maybe he is able to maintain that. Um, but I think it's really difficult to see in a in a projection another running back sort of taking over that number one spot from Christian McCaffrey. I do think there's probably like some chance that Saquon has like you know some just insane nuclear I, season. Yeah, him, yeah. But I agree. You, you can't project him close to what CMC exactly. Is. It's about the, that's exactly right. Like there's of course there's a chance that Saquon or even even Zeke. I mean Zeke could score so many touchdowns in this offense 
that yeah yeah he, he could have a 20 touchdown season yeah like he could go nuts on uh, in terms of scoring and that just that just brings him up into that under that level as well but just from a projection standpoint a median outcome standpoint it's very hard to move cmc from a, from that rb1 spot yeah uh i think i think actually for the carolina offense specifically sort of what is interesting is because with guys like dj moore i mean dj moore projects like a superstar right you know a a deandre hopkins julio jones uh calvin you know like a like a for real level superstar and to get him to the growth that you would expect from one of those guys because like you know those superstar receivers their targets are going to go up year over year and i i'm sort of wondering how you get to giving him you know uh you, you know, let's say 160 targets or whatever, which is sort of like, that's like a real number one wide receiver. Uh, you know, what do you do? Do you really, really diminish Curtis Samuel's role? Do you move, um, do you move Ian Thomas from, you know, uh, Greg Olson's target share to, you know, 75% of that? Do you take two percentage points away from CMC? Uh, kind of, kind of what I've done is I've moved Curtis Samuel to like a really complimentary piece in that offense, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that that there's a real chance that we're going to see one of Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel um, not live up to to expectation pretty easily. I mean, we we basically we could see one of them just crash and burn. Um, and I think that probability wise, it would be Curtis Samuel. Um, just, just especially given the narrative of of Robbie Anderson already having that relationship with the coaching staff. Um, so from from that perspective, you need. I, I would say that you would need that to happen in order for DJ Moore to then get boosted up. Because, like, right now, for instance, I think my projections have Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson combining for a little bit under, like, a 30% target share combined. Um, and in order for, for DJ Moore to see higher than, like, a 24% or 25% target share, to, to get to that 160 target mark that you're referring to, you would need Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson to not be as involved as what they would be projected to, to be involved as, right? Um, and that's certainly possible. Um, but again, if you're looking more median outcome, I think it's just safer and, and more conservative to sort of put Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson more in a level playing field. And that naturally hurts DJ Moore a little bit. But at the same time, you can look for the upside with DJ Moore uh, and, and see that, that he has that path to really being uh, that, one of those elite receivers. Yeah. Okay. The, the last situation I want to go over is the Kansas City Chiefs uh, receiving group because I think there is a chance, and I don't, I don't think it's like a massive chance or anything, but I, I think McCole Hardman might have like a really studly like 110 target season in him. Mm-hmm. And the, the market is off, the market was on it when it seemed like Watkins wasn't going to come back. And then Watkins redoes his deal so that he's now a member of the Chiefs again. Demarcus Robinson sort of surprisingly, again, signs a one-year deal. But I think that there is sort of enough in flux with them that, like, okay, so Blake Bell's gone. He played 39% of the team snaps last year. There's, uh, there's certainly a chance that, uh, that Hardman's going to take some of those snaps. You know, Robinson was playing ahead of Hardman, and then in the playoffs, Hardman was playing ahead. Sammy Watkins might just be – like a non-starting NFL player. Like he might, he might go like full Marquise Lee on us um, at this point. And Hardman was so efficient and so good on the targets that he got last year. Like I, I like basically I think that Hardman should be a guy like 
rounds eight, nine, ten, you're like, oh, if this guy hits, sort of like Will Fuller actually, where like if this guy hits, like this is a league winning season. And, you know, he just is kind of being viewed as like Traquan Smith, basically. 100%. I'm, t- I'm totally with you because not only that, so in my projections right now, I think I have him slated for like 80, 81 targets um, just based on target share. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like his target share is like 14% or something. And, and that's with Sammy Watkins with like 15.5% of a target share. Um, but the thing that's crazy, and I remember when I first ran my projections and I looked at the results, and I saw Michael Hardman's fantasy uh, output, just, just the final fantasy point projection. And it was so significantly higher than I thought it would be. And I had to do like a double check. I had to go, go through the Kansas City numbers again to make sure they all looked right. But we're looking at a high volume passing offense in Kansas City, where last season in neutral game scripts, Kansas City had a pass to rush ratio that was over two. Uh, they're they're throwing the ball twice as much as they're running it in neutral game script, which is yep. almost unheard of, right? It just doesn't happen very often. So we know they're going to be pass heavy. Um, and then you get a guy like Hardman who can be very efficient. And if you're projecting a guy for only a 14% target share and he's still really relevant in fantasy in, in your projections and you know that there's so much room for growth for that player, it's a slam dunk draft pick. I mean, he's, he's the exact kind of guy that you want to draft later in your drafts as he falls uh, because you know that, that he, number one, if, if, he, if he does nothing, it's not a big deal because the opportunity cost is so low. But he should have a floor and a ceiling. I mean, he's a, he's a, a perfect combination of the two. And it's sort of the way that we were talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire earlier where, you know, you can project CEH for like a 40% rushing share and a 10% target share where he doesn't look, you know, those aren't like fantastic numbers, but even when you project that he still looks decent. Like his numbers are still decent. Now imagine if he does take over what Damian Williams was doing down the stretch last year, then all of a sudden CEH is a league winning running back. And I, I think you can make the same kind of argument with Miko Hardman and it just goes to show how important it is to go from that team level first and look at the team level, because that's what happens when these players are playing in an offense like Kansas City's. Yeah, just like getting getting players who are on the field. And like we know McCall Hardman is better, more involved, more efficient than Demarcus Robinson. So like, yeah, you never wanted Demarcus Robinson on your fantasy teams last year, but Hardman <laughs> is just a like if if we just knew right now Hardman was gonna play all the snaps that Robinson played last year, he would be a uh, you know, he would be the sixth round pick, probably. Yeah, for sure. And for and the other thing too is that like we're we're looking at a guy who was a rookie last year and we're going to see progression. He was a second round rookie. I mean, he's a he he wasn't a good prospect from the standpoint of production, um but he had the the speed that that the Chiefs need and love in that offense. Uh, and he he balled out his rookie year when he got the ball in his hands. So, I think he's the perfect kind of risk reward take. Yeah, for sure. Um all right, man. Well, this was uh this was great. I feel like I I feel like I learned. I feel like I'm I'm better at uh Nice. fantasy sports now tell tell people about uh, about the late round podcast and all the stuff you guys have going on over at number fire yeah so late round podcast you can find it anywhere podcasts can be found pretty much uh i just kind of dive deep into pretty specific topics on each show it's fun it's a fun one it's a quick one it's not a not an hour long show it's more 15 to 20 minutes long each episode um and then all my work and, and all the content that we're doing is over on numberfire.com all right, everyone, uh, of course, go follow JJ on Twitter at Late Round QB. Listen to the Late Round Podcast, and uh, we will be back again soon with, uh, with more takes. 
Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. 